0: Uh, we have with us here today, uh, Mark Wimbish, he uh, he drove from Grove City, uh, he's at uh, First Baptist in Grove City, he's the director of the student life ministry, correct, um, there at the church, uh, First Baptist in Grove, Grove City, did I say Groveport? Okay, Grove City, yeah, sorry. Um, but, so he's here today, uh, definitely thank his church for allowing him to come out, and thank you for taking your time, uh, coming up here and uh, leading us in worship, so. Mark. Well, good morning. Good morning. I uh, I'm, I'm settling in a little bit. We woke up this morning and we got ready. And my wife is our children's director. Yeah, I have a really low voice. Whoever's running that soundboard, and it will boom. Um, and uh, we, so she left this morning. And, and, and my oldest and I are here and uh, we, we was like, oh, we got a little bit extra time this morning. So, we, you know, getting ready, eating breakfast, hanging out. And I was like, all right, time to go. I started looking around. and All of a sudden something dawned on me. I couldn't find my truck keys. And I'm looking and I'm looking and all of a sudden I go, oh, I left them in the cup holder in the van. So my wife's about 15, 20 minutes away from us. And I'm like, hey, I need, I need you to drive home and bring me the truck keys. Uh, I call your, your guys here and I'm like, hey, I will be there, but I will probably be there right at 1045. And even then it's gonna be pushing it. I'm pretty sure, like if you watch Back to the Future and you remember when the car would like spit flames out of the back on the road, <laughs> there are some tread marks down 62 right now, like it, if we were, I'm going to have to talk to the Lord about breaking the speed limit. But anyways, well, uh, I'm happy to be here with you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, a copy of God's Word, um, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Um, I've had the, the privilege of, of knowing Ben for, for quite a while. Um, our paths kind of intercross, in the, but yet they don't. Um, so before he was here, he was at, uh, I think it was First Baptist Heath as the, the student pastor there, and, and before he had applied there, I actually had interviewed there, but I was already being called to another church uh, at the time, and so I, I pursued God's calling and then ben wound up at Heath. Um, and so... Uh, we were a little intertwined there, didn't really know each other or anything, but we've gotten connected through the years. We, go, uh, we served together at Super Summer, and uh, it's, it's really neat to watch him invest in students there, and I know he invests in you all as a congregation, and I'm very thankful for his ministry, very thankful uh, for you all to give him the time to have several weeks off and, and to be able to do what he needs to do to, to recuperate um, as a blessing from one pastor to another. And so if you have found Acts chapter 17, uh, we are going to be um, in verses uh, 16 through 34. Uh, But we're not going to read the whole thing right now, but will you stand with me as we read God's word? Starting in verse 16, it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the uh, philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? And others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus, And they said, may we learn about this new teaching that you are presenting, because what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners residing spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we just thank you for this time, and God, as we study your word, as we come together, as we worship, and as we read your word, and as we allow it to penetrate our hearts and our minds and our souls, Lord, uh, may we uh, hear it. And be changed forever. Lord, we love you. We praise your name. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at the first point here, and the first point that that we have here to look at is idolatry should break a Christian's heart. Idolatry should break a Christian's heart. There's a lot of things that goes on in this world. There's a lot of heartbreak. There's a lot of things that happen. But when we see idolatry in any fashion, form, or favor, we should understand that that is one of the most distant things from God that we can do. Because we are literally saying whatever that thing is that we idolize is more important than God. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be entertainment. It could be work. It could be family. It could be a pagan God. It could be a lifestyle. It could be anything like that. But we have to understand that that idolatry is literally putting it before God. doesn't matter what it is. You see, we got to understand that that Greece was full of idols. There were statues of gods or goddesses all across the place in temples, as well as in public places and commercial places, and the temple buildings below the main city. They were everywhere. They were fulfilling the town with, with, with idols. A few years ago, or many years ago, when I was in seminary, we did a church planning class, and we had the privilege of this, this couple. They actually came from India, and, and they came in, and, and they flew in, and, and they came in through the airport, and they came in, and they spoke to our class, and they were there for different things. Um, it was a long flight just to come for a class, so they were there for many things, but they came in, and, 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 and the, the, there's the church planner. and he was talking about church planning in India and what it looks like, and uh, he is a native of India, and he's talking on and on and on and on, and, and his wife is, is, you can tell she's a little distraught. And so somebody asked her a question, and she says, I just feel very sad for your culture. Now, if you know anything about India, India is the land of 10,000 gods, right? Like, everybody's got a god, all right? You know, they make up gods for gods. They're, they're, the Hindu faith is the one who, are like, you don't eat cows because they're sacred. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I like beef, okay? <laughs> I like steak. I like burger. I like jerky. I like, you know, I, there's, there's nothing that's not beef-related that I don't like. Um, I would not make it well there. Uh, But, and so she looks up at us and she says, my heart breaks for you. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, I'm a young guy at the time and I'm I'm pondering where she's going with this. She goes, as I walk through your airport and your malls and your stores and and whatnot, she goes, we may have 10,000 gods, you have 10 million gods. And like the whole class just dead silent. And so we've created this culture, especially in Western culture, where we have all these things that we pursue the, the items, the stuff. And so, as he's talking to the people of Athens, and we would call them spiritual today, um, religion was so important to them that they even had an altar honoring an unknown God just to make sure they had all their bases covered. Kind of sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I like, you know what, let's just, we're going to do unknown. I don't know who that is. And we're just going to put that up there. That's a little weird. It's a little strange. Paul would be happy to explain to them, when, when evangelizing to the Jews, Paul sought to show them from scripture that Jesus is the Messiah. Even evangelizing, when evangelizing the Gentiles who didn't know scriptures, Paul started with their general interest in religion. He moved to the living and true God who created the world, explained human sin, accountability before God, and made his way to Christ. His approach serves as, a, as it's a good model for our evangelism. You see, when we look at people, we have to understand where they're coming from. A lot of times in Christianity, we love to have people come meet us where we're at versus understanding where they're at. And then we wonder why they have no interest in our faith. And so, he, his approach, his model, his evangelism efforts, we must understand, we must tailor our methods to meet the listener, where they are, to take them what they need the gospel, the free gift of eternal life and faith alone. And so, we, we look at America and we look, we're a very stuff driven culture. I mean, you know, you look at the, the advertisements and you look at the 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 cells. I mean, you know, we 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 love our Amazon, who can get stuff to us in under two days, right? Or our groceries that we don't even have to shop for anymore; we just show up and we pick up. We, we've become very convenient with consumerism. It's just, it's just become knitted into our culture. So, therefore, when we speak to people about Christ, when we share the good news of Jesus Christ, we understand that it's it's difficult. Because we're sharing something that that is completely opposite of what they learned. I'm the son of a, of a mechanic. My my dad owned a body shop, and he owned um, uh, he he worked on cars for, for his entire career, and and he always he always told this story, and maybe you've heard this story, and it, it's it's a it's a body man's joke, um. But, you know, he said uh, he goes, yeah, he goes when they made the Model T, he says. Uh, Um, Henry Ford would always tell him you can have it in any color as long as it's in black. He tells this joke all the time and I'm like, I've heard it for 40 years now. Thanks, Dad. Appreciate it. But he tells it. But here's the thing, though. That was 100 years ago when they started selling Model T, a little over 100 years ago. Could you imagine going to the car dealership now and they look at you and they say, well, you can have it but you can only have it in black. I don't want it in black. I want it in red. Well, you can't have it in red. You have to have it in black. Well, I want this option. It doesn't come with that option. I want air conditioning. It doesn't have air conditioning. I want power windows. It doesn't have power windows. I needs to have Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. I don't even know what that is. So like, if we go on and on and on. And I use this example just to say, look how comfortable we become with the options that we think we need. And so when we look at the Greeks, we look at a culture who wanted options for comfort. They they wanted these these multi-theistic gods so that way they could have their bases covered. So they could feel good about what they were doing, that they could check the box off, that they could have religious activity. But in all reality, they were just distractions. Distractions from their heartache. Distractions from the thing that was missing inside of them. Distractions from God. You see, we have our time, we have our events, we have our items, we have our schedules. Society has all these things. We have our stuff, we have our whatever it is, our dreams, our our pursuits, our jobs. Insert whatever. And how many times in our culture, Do we see friends and family, if I get this, if I achieve this, I'll be happy, I'll be at peace, I'll be fulfilled. The Greeks were no different. If I do this, if I worship this guy, if I go to this temple, I'll have peace. But yet they had to make a a trophy to something that as far as their minds could tell didn't even exist but they just wanted to cover their bases. And so as we understand, as we, as we go into the culture, as we understand that the culture is, is vastly different, as we understand that the culture is, is stressed and strained and, and picked and pulled apart, we have to always be ready to give a reason for Jesus Christ. We have to be ready to give a reason for Jesus Christ. Salvation, the story of salvation, evangelism, Is vital. When Christ descends, he tells us to go into the nations and do what? Make disciples. Well, making disciples starts with evangelism. It's not two separate things. It's one thing altogether. It's just the first part of the process. And so as we do that, as Paul um, implies that here with his, his fearless attitude and this culture that he did not belong in, he be, they began to dispute with him. So Luke, as he writes this in Acts, as he tells the story, adds that Paul had a contest with the philosophers. All right? These were the educated men of Greece, of Athens. He did not approach them deliberately, for he knew that they were born only for debating and quibbling. You know anybody who's, they just love the debate. They just love to argue with you. Some of you are thinking of somebody right now. Somebody's thinking of somebody in your house right now. (laughs) I drive my wife insane because I like to debate. And she'll look at me and she is not a fighter in any way. She's not a debater. She's not. She is a go with the flow. You do not make waves whatsoever. And I'm the one that will be the first one to look at you and go, what are you doing that for? Well, and you go on and on and on. And, and, and there's a culture of this in Greece that embraces that. And so Paul knows, he goes, I can't get into a debate with him. I can't get into an argument with him. Now, when we think of our current culture, and we look at those around us, and we look at some of the things that we see in the news, and we look at things going on in society, if you go into those cultures that are counter of Jesus Christ, And you go in with a debating heart, if you go in like ready for a fight, you're not going to get any headway. You're just going to be two angry people going two different directions at the end of that conversation. Sharing the news of Jesus Christ, sharing the message of the gospel is not a debate. It is not an argument to be won. It is the Holy Spirit transforming lives. It is our responsibility to share that message. And so we have to be prepared to share that message. See, the Lord often allows stubborn and impromptu people to arise against us in order that the truth may become plainer in the contrast of their argument. These people of Athens, they they troubled Paul. They insulted him. Yet the outcome shows that he did not dispute any of their philosophy. He was not dragged into a a useless argument about certain words or terminology. No. He preserved the moderation that he speaks about elsewhere. We also have to behave in this way when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ in a moderate, dignified way. Bringing out the truth, but avoiding the danger of unnecessary controversy. Just because we are ambitious and want to show off our talents. You see, we have to understand that evangelical moments, moments where where the Holy Spirit is moving, where we have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ, they are not convenient. Probably nine times out of ten, you're not going to be ready for that conversation. You're not going to wake up that day going like, I am going to have... This evangelical conversation with somebody today, you're probably not going to have it. It's going to come out of nowhere. It's going to be at an impromptu time. As a student pastor for many years, I love hanging out with students, but I love just sitting around listening to them. I listen to them talk. And as they start talking, as they start getting comfortable, all of a sudden they start hearing some of their philosophical ideas that they've picked up somewhere down the road and you're just sitting there. And I'll let them go for a little bit. And all of a sudden I'll go, where did you get that from? Well, and then we get to jump into a conversation. I wasn't seeking the evangelical conversation. I wasn't seeking to, to explain the gospel to someone. But I was listening and I was being patient and sometimes it, 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 it's a lot of time and a lot of effort to even have those evangelical conversations. Paul was blessed that all these moments moved quickly, that he could have these conversations. But we have to be ready at all times. And there's a hundred tools for the tool belt. How I mean, you Romans Road or Three Circles or, or Faith Acronyms and all these other acronyms and ABCs and, and whatnot. And you can be ready. You can be prepared. But you don't know when it's going to happen, and you don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing, and we don't know when he's moving. But we always have to be ready to give an account of Jesus Christ. It's the most important thing we can do. You see, Paul opened up his address. See, he didn't even, even as he was ready to speak to them, he actually opened up with a compliment. He met them on their ground. He said, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, They were like, yeah, we are religious. Paul's going, yeah, like, yeah, you're wasting time. They didn't even realize it was an insult, but he paid them a compliment. You know those backhanded compliments? Oh. use Me, for example, people will come up to me and they'll go, hey, that that shirt really flatters you for a big guy. (laughs) Thanks. Appreciate it. And you know what? You're your beard looks nice, even though there's quite a bit of gray in it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, you know, it's just backhanded compliments. It, you know, people think they're being nice, or maybe they're not trying to be nice. But, you know, you get them, and you receive them, and you, you, you're like, okay, sure, whatever. And so Paul feeds them this compliment. He says, oh, man, you guys are you're so religious. Man, look how cool that is. You guys got religion. Man, Neat. They were so religious that they'd even had an altar to the unknown God, he he said. They wanted to make sure that they benefited from a deity that they maybe neglected. If they did not know about this God, how could they worship him? Or how could he help them? It was this God that Paul declared. In this message, which is similar to the sermon in Lister, Paul shared four basic truths about God in here. Shared four basic truths about God. In Acts 17, 24, he shares the greatness of God, his creator. And so, as he's talking about God the creator, he's talking about God in a singular sense. Now, the, the, the Greeks, uh, later the Romans, or at the time also the Romans, um, uh, of course the, the Hindus of now, um, and, and in a lot of other cultures at the time, they believed in a multi-God format. They thought that, like, well, we had a God for the sun, and we got a God for the air, and we got a God for marriage, and we got a God for death, and we got a God for life, and we got a God for the ground, and on and on and on and on and on. And we have to please these gods. We have to keep them happy. Because if we keep them happy, they won't hate us. When we look in our society and we look at those who do not know the love and mercies of Jesus Christ, that do not understand the gospel, do we not see the same thing in their lives? This exhaustion of keeping the world happy. If I just do this, if I'm just a part of this, if I just give in to this, I'll be happy, or they'll be happy with me, I'll get their approval. And we exhaust ourselves. They exhaust themselves. Not understanding that there is rest in Christ because he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only God. And so Paul starts there. He says he is great because he is the creator. In verse 25, he talks about the goodness of God. He's a provider. There's no need to appease multiple deities, multiple gods. You don't have to wear yourself out. He provides for you. You do not provide for him. There is nothing you can do to please God. Besides, submit to to him, ask forgiveness of sin, and live your life for him. There's no amount of gifts. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of sacrifice. There's no amount of time. None of that. In 26 to 29, Paul even referenced in the next thing here, He says, the government of God and that he is the ruler that the law comes from one stream not multiple avenues you see if you went to different parts of Greece or different parts of Rome with their their multi-deities it could determine how their laws were affected well we worship the God of the sun so we worship this so these are our laws that's got to be exhausting because if you go to the wrong town do the wrong thing at the wrong time you're going to be in really big trouble But what Paul is saying is that all law, all order comes from the Hebrew God, the creator of the universe, the provider of life. He is the ultimate stream. And lastly, Paul puts out the grace of God. He is our savior. He is our only way. So it's taking all these ideas of, of multiple gods and it's literally just shutting it down and saying, one God, one way. It's the only way. So he shares this information. He shares these truths. And so was the first thing that we see here in 32, it says some of them sneered. So the next thing you need to be ready for as you're ready to share the faith of Jesus Christ, as you're ready to share the gospel, you need to be ready for ridicule. You need to be ready for mockery. You need to be ready for hate. You need to be ready for angry people. It says that some of them sneered. Some people are just so unconcerned that neither God's judgment seat nor the majesty of the supreme judge makes them afraid. They are so hard of the heart that they do not hesitate to think that the idea of our one day having to give an account for our lives They look at it as just mere fiction, fairy tales. However, this is no reason for the ministry of the gospel to give up preaching. The wicked may laugh, but this doctrine will also, will so blind them that in the end, they will realize that they have been struggling against the trap and their own vanity. You see, they're going to hear the gospel and they may sneer and they may get angry and they may disapprove they may not want to hear anything else. They may make fun of you. They may threaten you. But Paul embraced that. He knew when he was standing at the center of the mob what could have happened to him. They could have drug him out to the courts and killed him. But he knew what he had to do. He knew the conversations he needed to have. He trusted in the Lord. You see, it's not surprising that at this point Paul's teaching has um, upset the, the people of Athens. Uh, it's a mystery that is hidden from the, the human mind. Even the great philosophers never thought about it. And we can only stand to understand what Paul is talking about when we lift our eyes up in faith to the power of God. Yet Paul's sermon was not altogether without fruit because some of the listeners wanted to go further. We want to hear you again on the subject, they said. They meant that although they were not yet thoroughly persuaded they had heard enough to make them want to know more. Surely this is confidence for us. You see, we have to understand we are seed planters. We do not own the message of Jesus Christ. It is my responsibility to plant the seed. Yes, there's many things that the farmer does when he plants the seed. There's tending to the soil, Praying for the rain, fertilizer for the crop, many things. But when we plant the seed, we have to have faith that something's gonna sprout, but we cannot control that seed to sprout. And so we have to be ready to share that, but we have to be ready to, to expect, not expect, but embrace the rejection See, Scripture is written of God's awesomeness. It does not go out void and is not inerrant. It is truth. It is hope. It is a message of repentance. It's a message of grace. It's a message of eternal life. And though we may reject it, though they may reject it, it is still what we need. You see, they're not angry at you. They're not angry at me. They're not really even angry at Jesus. They're frustrated with their place and mode of life. You see, there's a chasm between worldviews. You're talking to someone who lives for the flesh, lives for this world, lives for, for to make others happy or make themselves happy. And then you're telling them this totally opposite worldview of a creator who loves them and cherishes them, and there's nothing that they can do to impress him. That's vastly different than everything they believe. But their only hope for eternal life is through him. You no, know, I've been taught that I need to work my way to salvation. I need to work my way to a good life. I need to work my way. I need to earn it. I need to make others happy. But the gospel tells us something so different. And so when they hit each other, they collide. Oil and water. They just smashed into each other. We have to learn to understand a worldview without embracing it. Paul understood what was going on in Greece, but he did not embrace what was happening. He understood who they were. He understood what they were going through. He understood the decisions they made, but he did not embrace it. We as believers have to understand what the lost is going through without embracing it. Now, there are many churches out there this day that are beginning to embrace ungodly worldviews. And they are failing the ministry of Jesus Christ by doing so. But as a, a healthy church, as a healthy faith, faith family, as, as a healthy Christian, we must understand that, like, I need to understand the worldview, I need to understand... I understand where they're coming from. I understand what they're saying. I'm hearing them. Maybe I don't comprehend everything. I still love them, but I'm not going to embrace their lifestyle. I'm not going to embrace their worldview. It's hard. It's extremely hard, especially when it comes to family or close friends. But as we balance and combat these worldviews, We also have to be ready to see transformation. We have to be ready to see lives changed. See, Paul's message is a masterpiece of communication. He started where the people were by referring to this altar dedicated to an unknown God. He got their interest. He piqued their interest. Then he explained that God is and what he is like. And he concluded his message with a personal point. And then he left the council members facing a moral decision. And some of them decided for Christ. Paul planted seed. He did the seed. He, he, he did the work of the obedience of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know what was going to happen. As far as he knew, he was just going to get ran out of that town too. He was ran out of the last town and he'll be run out of the next town. And he was okay with that. He was okay at the cost. He was okay at the rejection because he knew that the transformation in these people's lives was more important. More important than his feelings and more important than his comfort. You see, a lot of us avoid evangelism efforts because we think we know the outcome. We think we know where God is going with this. We think we know, oh, they're not going to accept Jesus. But in real reality, we have no clue what the Holy Spirit is doing. We have no concept of what God is working on. It would be very prideful for us to think that we know what the Holy Spirit is doing without it enlightening us. many years ago when i was interning um, the student pastor that i worked under he there's a there's an evangelism tool it's called faith it's an acronym and it's f is for forgiveness and it, it goes on and on and on and this thing if you don't know about it, if you know about it you know what i'm talking about if you don't know about it it's not as popular nowadays this was 20 25 years ago and this thing when you sat down start to finish, it could be 45 minutes to an hour before you're done giving this evangelism tool. It's a long time. And so the youth pastor that we were under, he had this great idea that we were going to go out and we were going to go to like students who had visited and we're going to just go to their door and we're going to go through the faith acronym. In February. So you're standing at some high schooler's door in February for 40 minutes. It wasn't very well thought out, but we did it, and we went, and there was multiple teams that went out, and some of us probably walked out with bad attitudes, like, "Oh man, it's cold. I got to stand in the doorway for 40 minutes, and this kid's going to be like, "You just go away. I want to go back to my Xbox." But we would go, and we'd have these conversations. And every week, there'd be reports back. Man, Timmy accepted Christ. And Susie's close and she's asking questions. On and on and on and on. Every week for 16 weeks. Wasn't always the same student, wasn't always the same people going. There's different people, different places. But we went. And we went through sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was uncomfortable. To be quite frank with you, most Wednesdays I didn't want to go because it was cold and I was tired and it was late or whatever. But the lives that was changed out of that for eternity. Going through a season of life in my family, unfortunately, as a pastor, I've had the privilege of, of doing many funerals over the last few months. And there's a family member who we've, we've grown in, in, in friendship. We weren't close at all. He's a like second, third cousin, something like that. And we've, we've grown in, in, in relationship over the last few years. And, and he's kind of, he's, he's a wild child. I mean, there's just, there's no, there's no doubt about it, man. He is, he's wild. And, uh, But you know, he has been at the last three funerals, and at every funeral I get the wonderful opportunity to preach the gospel, because I won't do a funeral unless they let me preach the gospel. And so he has heard the gospel three times in the last six months. We had our family reunion a couple weeks ago, and we're talking, and never thought I'd hear these words. He looks over at me, and he goes, Hey, want you know something? I said, What's that? He goes, thinking about a lot of things. But making a lot of different choices in my life. I said, Well man, that's good. He said, Yeah. He says, I want to talk about it in a few weeks. I said, Well, we'll talk about it in a few weeks. I went to go preach a funeral. Little did I know, probably one of the people who had been farthest from God in our family now has questions about the gospel. We can make a difference, but we have to be obedient. We have to understand what the cost is. We have to understand that it's going to be uncomfortable. It can be exhausting. It can be frustrating. It can cost us relationships. But in the end, we are talking about eternal change. And there is no greater prize that we can obtain. So my encouragement for you today is we're gonna wind things down here. And I always tell people like at my church, they love it when I preach because I'm the short guy. I'm like straight to the point. Let's go to Bob Evans, all right? They love me for it. So, all the other guys are like, I guarantee they're still preaching. So, um, but as we close up, as we finish up, as we wind down here, I want to encourage you to something. There's somebody in your life right now that needs to hear the gospel. They do. And I'm not talking about going up and going through 13 points of the Romans Road or anything like that. Maybe, yeah, it leads that way. No, what I'm talking about is going up, having lunch, cup of coffee, whatever, and just start planting seeds, building relationship, letting them know that you're praying for them. Ask them if they need anything. Just invite them to church. But start planting seeds. We so often say, I'd like to see the world change for Christ. And we, we as the church, we've made it this difficult, complex thing. It's really not. Paul's walking through a town, he sees a weird statue, and he says, Hey! I know who that is. And the Greeks look over him and they go, Oh, you do, do you? Well, let's talk about it. Okay. And so they talked about it. He didn't threaten them, he didn't bash them, he didn't manipulate them. He said, eh, this is what you don't know. And he shared it with them. Some rejected, some believed. But we have people in our life, in our family, in our jobs, they're hurting. And they have no clue where to turn. Do work out in um, Salt Lake City, Utah. Work with some church planners out there, and when we started working out there. You know, we, we think, oh we're a we're a Christian nation, and everybody knows about the concept of the church. We were out there a few years ago, and we were talking to the the, the guy who's like the chief person for North American Mission Board out there, and. I asked him, I said, how many people in, in Utah would be a professing Christian? And he said, man, about 3%. So okay. I said, how many people would you say know about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Like They know about church, they know about church life, they know about uh, the real church, not the Mormon church. And he looked at me and he said, mm, probably less than 8%. About three, four million people in the state total, less than 4%, even know the church, the real church exists, or less than 8%. Now, it's going to be higher where we're at. Most people know in our communities what the church is. But there's a lot of people who don't, don't really know what the church is about. I think it's a building that you go to on Sundays and you sing songs and Some guy gets up and talks to you from an old book for an hour. No, church is something much bigger. Church is something eternal that is built through the gospel. Our friends and family are desperate for it, whether they realize it or not, because they're searching and they're looking at the unknown God. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for this day. We thank you for, for your holy words and your holy scriptures. And God, we all know someone in, this, in our lives that needs to know the message of Christ, that needs to know the gospel. That they are desperate, they are hurting, they are pursuing the unknown gods of this world, thinking that they can fix themselves. God, allow us to have the courage be obedient to the Holy Spirit and start having gospel conversations, to share the faith, to be patient, to embrace the ridicule, to take it with grace and patience, all because we know what it means to see transformation. We know what it means to see a new creation in Christ. God, if there is anyone in this room who has been looking to the unknown God, just trying to fix themselves, God, let them know that there are are disciple makers in this room who want to have a conversation with them and show them the gospel, show them the ways and the truth of Christ our Lord. God, be with us as we just respond to you in worship, as we sing these songs in benediction, Lord. We love you and we give you praise. We praise your name. Amen. Will you stand as we worship?